0: Coming from Romans 2, 17 through 29. You can find it on the screen as well as your bulletin. But if you call yourselves a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, A light to those who who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? For circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised But keeps the law, will condemn you who have written the code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter." His praise is not from man, but from God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Bridget. Good morning, Lake Baldwin Church. <clears throat> well, by now, most of you know that I am an avid hunter. And, uh, but you don't know that I didn't grow up that way. I didn't grow up in a family that hunted. I didn't grow up around guns. Uh, I wasn't comfortable with guns. I didn't know anything about them. Uh, But when I uh, became an adult and was able to purchase uh, my very first uh, weapon, I was super excited, but I was nervous at the same time because I knew uh, that guns in the wrong hands can be very dangerous. Uh, so what did I do? I, I spent a lot of time and I studied the manual. And I learned all about how to handle the weapon. How to, how, what are the rules to handle it safely? Uh, things like keep it pointed in a safe direction at all times. Um, always assume that the gun is loaded. Uh, don't put your finger on the trigger until you're ready to fire the weapon. So I I tried to be comfortable with all of the rules, and even later on, years later, I would take a course uh, and learn more about gun safety and handling. But even though I had all of this information and had taken a course, it didn't invalidate the fact that guns can be a dangerous thing in the wrong hands. Now, ironically, uh, guns actually can be dangerous in hands that are very familiar with handling Uh, a weapon. And why is that? Well, you can have all of this knowledge and all of this experience and what tends to happen when you have all that knowledge and experience? Well, you can get overconfident. You can get careless and lazy and maybe even a little bit prideful uh, in your knowledge about guns. Uh, There was a study in 2019 uh, that they looked at 258 law enforcement agencies. Uh, over a seven-year period and and what did they find they found when they they did the study that those 258 law enforcement agencies had almost 1500 accidental weapons discharges 1500 keep in mind these are professionals these are people that carry a gun every single day. They, they shoot more rounds out of a gun than you or I ever will. Right? They know all the laws. They know how to handle the gun. They go to the range regularly. And yet, 1,500, almost 1,500 accidental discharges. Guns can be very dangerous, right? And they can be especially dangerous in the hands of the familiar. And that's not to say if they didn't do a study with people who are new to handling guns that maybe there would be more, but we know that when you become very familiar, when you become an insider to something, you are susceptible to becoming lazy. Well, in our passage this morning, Paul is going to make this argument. He's going to make the argument that religion in the hands of the wrong people can be a dangerous thing. Religion in the hands of the insider can be dangerous. If you've gone to church all your life, if you've grown up in church, if you've been around the things of the church, if you've been baptized, it can be a dangerous thing. Paul here in his passage, he's going to start and turn his attention for the first time specifically towards the Jews. And he's going to make this argument. There's two reasons that their religion can be a dangerous thing. He's going to point out these two reasons. One, it can lead to a spiritual pride. And secondly, it can lead to a false or a misplaced trust or reliance A spiritual pride and a misplaced reliance. And then Paul, he's not going to leave us there. He's going to give us the remedy. He's going to give us the remedy for a dangerous Religion. So I want us to look first at that very first point, spiritual pride. Religion can be dangerous because it can lead to a spiritual pride, especially for those who are on the inside. Look at verses 17 and 23. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and you boast in God, you who boast in in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. He's saying here, some of you Jews, you are prone to spiritual pride. You are prone to a religious pride. You're prone to boasting for a couple of reasons. One, they, they say that, that we are Jews. What does that mean? It means something special, actually. They were God's chosen people. Of all the people on planet Earth, God had chosen the Jews, and he had given them so much many benefits the Jews were God's people and God was their God and they boasted in that they also had as it says here they boasted in the law they had God's law again of all the people on planet earth they had written down absolute truth look with me at verse 18 and, you, and they know his will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law. You see, they, they not only had possession of the law, but they knew God's will. They knew God's will. They were instructed in the law by God himself. In other words, again, of all the people on planet Earth, they actually knew more about God than anybody else. And it's that little word, know. They know more than anyone else. In 1 Corinthians 8.1, it says that knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. And especially for us inside of the church, when we get knowledge, it can do what? It can tend to make us swell up. And so being a Jew, being an insider... Having the inside track to God made them susceptible to pride. This is what C.S. Lewis would say. You've got this quote in your bulletin. It's also on the screen. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. You see, the Jews, they had more. They had more of God, they had more of truth, they had more of the many benefits that comes with being in relationship with God. They had things that the Gentiles did not have. They had so many advantages and it made them proud. And when we're proud, what is it that's happening in our heart? We set ourselves above other people. We begin to think that we are more significant, that we're smarter, we have more truth. We actually say this to ourselves, or at least we feel it, that we are, we are actually better than that other person. And for people in the church... For Christians, for God insiders, we are especially prone to spiritual pride. I want to look now at verse 19, and it says, And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. See, that's a good thing that we have in God's Word the embodiment of knowledge and in truth. But you know what? With it comes power and unfortunately pride. We get, we get power and we have pride in the fact that we can guide the blind. That they're people in darkness and that we get to instruct them. We have something that they don't have. And it can lead to a spiritual pride. What does this look like in the church? Well, it may look like this in a home Bible study. It may look like that person who is always eager to speak first and to make sure that everyone knows that they know their Bible, that they know their theology, that there is a right theology and that your theology is not the right theology. It may look like that person that has to be the moral policeman in the workplace, or in your neighborhood, who has to make sure that they are instructing other people about what is right and what is wrong. And that's not to deny that the Bible is the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Yes, but it's the attitude of when we are setting ourselves above other people, when we're saying that we are superior, that we have this posture that we are superior to other people. That's when all of these advantages become a disadvantage. That's when religion in our hands be can become a dangerous thing. Now, when we talk about spiritual pride, it's easy for us to see this. It's so easy for us to see it in other people, isn't it? But it's so easy for us to say that that's, that's not what we do. It's easy to see it in someone else. It's, it's it's so hard to see it in ourselves. It may look like such a tiny speck uh, in our eye. And so we're gonna need help. I would recommend that, that, you, that you put yourself under the word of God. Not above the word of God. Put yourself under the word of God. Let God's word, the authority of God, his, his word examine and cut through your heart and show you where you're puffed up. Because you are a God insider. Reach out to trusted friends. Ask them. Maybe they can see it in you. And for the Jews, what was the result of their spiritual pride? Well, it was hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. They were so arrogant, they were so puffed up, they were so blind, they couldn't see their own hypocrisy. That's what you're going to see in verses 21 and 22, that they go about teaching the law, but they themselves do what? They break the law. They're the type of people that say, do as I say, but not as I do. Their lives are a living contradiction. And what was the result of that? Well, in verse 24, it says that it gives cause for the Gentiles. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Paul here is quoting from Isaiah chapter 52. And if you're familiar with that passage, you know that the Jews are in exile. They're in captivity. They're conquered by the Babylonians. And, And Paul is quoting that. Why? Because in that situation that the Jews were in, it gave cause for the Babylonians to snicker and to sneer about God. They say they worship the almighty God, the powerful God. Where is he now? His people are in captivity. They have the promises of God. Where is he now? What kind of God? I don't wanna worship that kind of God. And in our passage today, it's a tragic irony. That those Jews who were to be a blessing, a light to all of the nations, were actually having the opposite effect. Instead of causing people to be drawn to God, to bless his name, people are being turned away from God. And that may sound a little bit too familiar, to us today and I wonder if that's maybe a little bit of the picture of what's going on in our country today. Are people rejecting God because of Christians? Are people leaving the church in, in numbers never seen before in America, in the history of America? Why? Because of us. It's society rejecting and blaspheming God, injuring his reputation, his name, because of us. Because of our deeds not matching up with our words. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is an offensive message, isn't it? It calls us all sinners. It calls us all lawbreakers. It says that we are in rebellion against our creator. That's an offensive message. But the question for us this morning is, are we more offensive than the gospel? Are we the ones that are driving people away from God? We who are to be that city upon a hill, that light to the world, Are we having the opposite effect? You know, being a Christian, being called a Christian has this huge responsibility. We bear the name of Christ. We bear the name of Christ. We bear Jesus' reputation before an unbelieving world. And, And the question to ask this morning is what message is our life conveying to those around us? It reminds me of a story. Uh, back in my college days, I had a roommate, and uh, he came home from the mall. He was running some errands, and he was, he was totally upset. <clears throat> and I, I began to ask him, what, what's going on? And he said, you know, this, I was on the road, and this guy came up right up on my bumper, and he was making gestures, and he's waving his hands, and he's swerving, and he's honking. And when he was finally able to get around me, this is why my friend was so upset. What did I see on his... Bumper, I saw a Jesus sticker. The person was so eager to represent Jesus to the world, but so blind to to the contradiction, the message of his own life was sending to the people around him. Would we drive differently? Would we act differently? Would we speak differently if we had the label Christian across our forehead so that everybody could see How would it change the way we live? For the Jews, it was a dangerous thing, this religion, to have in their hands because it led to a spiritual pride which led to blindness. They didn't even see the fact that though they sat above people, taught them the law, they broke it themselves. And and as a result, people rejected God. The Gentiles blasphemed God. Also, it was dangerous because They had a misplaced reliance. I want you to look with me at verses 17 and 25. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, and then in 25, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. They had a misplaced reliance. They had a misplaced trust. What did they trust in? They trusted in so many other things other than God. If you call yourself a Jew, they trusted in the fact that they were Jews. Again, God's chosen special people. They trusted in their possession and their knowledge of the scripture. The fact that they had it that they knew it. They trusted in the fact that they had circumcision, the sacrament given to them to set them apart to show that this is the people of God. They thought that just simple possession and knowledge of these things of religion meant that they were in. They were in, they were in God's favor. They would escape the wrath, the judgment that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. You know, possession and knowledge and experience in all of that gun safety is of no value if it's not practiced. It's of no effect. And the Jews here, they had a false sense of security, they had false assurance. Why? Because their trust was misplaced. You know, God gave them circumcision as a sign. It's just another way that God graciously communicates to his people that he does so not just in words, but in visible, tangible form. He was showing them that they needed to be cleansed from their sin, their uncleanness, through the shedding of blood. And what did they do? They relied simply on observing the sacrament. We call that religious ritual and here Paul is doing what he's pointing out that's inconsistent it's a contradiction you are a hypocrite you have a life of law-breaking and spiritual pride it's not even consistent with someone who has been cleansed by God someone who has been transformed someone who has been given a new heart and it showed that their hearts were not truly changed They were focused only on outward behavior, only on what people could see. Look what I have done. And they were not focusing on the inward and the spirit. This argument, I want you guys to realize that we're in here, Paul is making, is a very serious argument. Paul is next, he is next going to drop the hammer down on the Jews. He's gonna plunge the dagger in the heart and he's gonna give them the ultimate insult in verses 26 and 27. Think Think of hearing this as a Jew. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. Ouch. You see what Paul is trying to say here? You see why this is such an indictment on them? He's basically saying that there are Gentiles out there who are better Jews than you are. Ouch. They're more Jewish than you are. They are acting Like God's people. You know, we all know people at work in our neighborhood, in our life, family members who don't claim the name of Christ, but they sure look a lot better than we do, don't they? They serve the poor, they would give their shirt off their back for anyone, they follow God's law. They actually live out what it is we we say, we believe. That's, That's what Paul is saying. There are Gentiles who are more Jewish than you. There are people in this world who are more Christian than we are. That's a stinging indictment. And what was so dangerous about This aspect of the Jews' religion, it was the object of what they relied upon. The object, the focus of what they relied on, they relied upon having the law, even knowing the law, observing rituals. And we in the church can do the very same thing. And we have to be wary about this that's not the gospel that is not the message of grace that is not the good news that Paul is trying to convey and so I want you to know if you've grown up in church all of your life do not rely on that to escape the judgment and wrath of God you may know the the bible inside and out you you may have the best theology in the auditorium this morning. Don't rely on that, Don't, don't put your trust in that as you stand before God. Let that not be the object of your trust. The demons probably have a better understanding of the Bible than we do, but it's worthless. And I wanna say this this morning, we are a church that baptizes, we baptize infants, we baptize you when you come to faith, but if you've been baptized, don't look to your baptism to save you. What is the object of your trust? What are you relying on to gain God's favor, to gain his approval, to gain standing before God? If you are relying on these things, whether you show up at church all the time, read your Bible, have been baptized, those things are a misplaced reliance. Paul, in very strong terms, is, is, is saying to the Jews, that's not good enough. You've got your trust in the wrong things. Even as Christians, we can be fooled in thinking that our standing before God is somehow changing based on the things that we do for God. That somehow, when our Bibles are collecting dust or we're not showing up at church as much as we know we ought to, that his love for us is diminishing and that his love for us becomes greater when we're showing up for church. That is not the gospel. That is not the message of good news. Religion in the hands of an insider can be very dangerous. It can lead to a spiritual pride. It can lead to a misplaced reliance, and Paul now is gonna give us religion's remedy. Verses 28 through 29, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. You know that last phrase there, Paul is giving insight to this false religion, this danger of religion. He's showing the motivation behind it all. Right? Why are we up to spiritual pride? Why are we doing these things? We want the praise of man. That's what's motivating us. And he's showing us the reality is this, that we all don't live up to what we believe or say we believe. I hope if you're here this morning that you can say that in all honesty that you have a pride problem too. And that you are prone to put your trust in your Bible reading and your church going and the things that you are doing for God. And then unfortunately, when we look at our lives, I know I've done this. We give cause for people to blaspheme God. Because we don't live up to what we believe. We don't live up to it. What we believe. There are even times we act as if we we were never even baptized. That the Spirit of God has not cleaned us and transformed us and given us a new heart. It says, if our baptism has become unbaptism. Here's the good news this morning God does what we fail to do over and over again. You see, God is the one who. Circumcises our heart by the Spirit. That's what it says in 29. Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. By the Spirit. You see, we're utterly helpless. We're utterly hopeless to clean ourselves up. It would be like someone with a failing heart. And the only solution for that failing heart is they need a heart transplant. We can't do it ourselves. That person needs to go to a surgeon. Someone else has to do it for him. For us to have our hearts circumcised, God has to do it for us. I want to bring you to to two verses, one in the Old Testament and one in the New. In Deuteronomy 36, listen to who is the one who does this. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And then in the New Testament, in Colossians 2, in him, that's Jesus, also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Jesus does what we cannot do for ourselves. He is the one that transforms, He is the one that cleans our heart. And when we go back and think about the Jews, And how they have failed so miserably throughout history. How they have ended up in captivity. How they've given cause for the name of God to be blasphemed. Jesus does what no Jew could do. Jesus is the true Israel of God. There's only one true Jew who fulfills all that the Jews were supposed to be. A blessing to all the nations, right? Right? Jesus is the only one who is a blessing to all the nations. He's the only one that causes the nations not to blaspheme the name of God, but to praise him. He brings them all together to praise him. He's the only one whose deeds are consistent with his words. He is the only guide to the blind. He is the only light in the darkness. He is the only true circumcision. He's the one who takes on our uncleanness, the uncleanness of our sin and is cut off, sheds his blood so that we could be cleansed, so that we could be brought in, our hearts being transformed. Jesus does what we all fail to do, so we all need Jesus I encourage you this morning to turn your eyes once again towards Jesus, whether you've followed him for 30 years like me or you have yet to follow him in faith. Turn your eyes towards Jesus. Let his sacrificial love for you deflate. Take all of the power out of your spiritual pride You know, religion says this. Religion says do good to get good. That's not the gospel. The gospel says Jesus, he did good so that we could have his very greatest. How do we have his greatest? We have it by trust, by reliance upon him. We call that faith, simple faith. So I invite you, turn your eyes Again, towards Jesus. Jesus is the only true remedy for dangerous religion. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we have such a loving Savior who himself would become dirty, who himself would become sin. He who knew no sin would become sin for us, that we would be the righteousness of God. What kind of Savior do we have in Jesus, a loving, gracious, gentle Savior who looks upon us, people with foolish pride, people who give cause for others to reject you. Father, we fail you over and over again. We thank you that what we cannot do, Jesus has done completely for us. It is finished, and we give you all the praise. It's in his precious name we pray, amen. Well, we're gonna continue our worship service this morning. I'm gonna bite for the deacons and deaconesses who will receive our offering.